Good morning. It's good to see everybody. And uh, you know, I've always heard parents talk about, man, they can't wait till break is over. I now know why. Uh, but it has been a good break. We we didn't go anywhere, which that means it was awesome. Uh, it was great to be at home and and just get to chill out a little bit, coaching football and all that good stuff. Didn't take much of a break from coaching, but uh, you know, it's good to rest up and get ready to go again and finish out the the semester, which is crazy to think about. You know, sometimes it does think feel like it ought to be spring break. So, uh, no, 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 nothing against you there, Phil, because I'm the same way. I I get those dates mixed up and. Uh, Obviously, as we get uh, into a, a week that uh, will be uh, an interesting week for me, it'll be a year since uh, my diagnosis, so it's just good to be here and to be around and to see everybody and to be here rather than having to call in from the hospital room, and uh, so that's good to be with you this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, and then we'll flip over to John 12 to wrap up our lesson this morning, but uh, you know, in, in our day and age, it's... I don't know, I'm not going to say it's more difficult than it's ever been because I haven't been around forever. Uh, some of my students probably wouldn't agree with that, but, uh, you know, forever is very uh, relative, right? Um, it's different timing, different things, you know, to, to them. I'm ancient to some of you here. I'm still a young guy and kind of in that limbo, and, I, you know, I don't mind staying there for a while, you know, uh, if, if people want to see that. And a lot of reason I keep a beard is because is Whitney thinks that everybody would say that I was 15 if I didn't have it. I think I'm kind of past that point now. I don't think anybody would uh, say I was 15 years old, even though some of the boys sometimes are like, man, shave the beard, you can come out and play uh, some ball with us. And I said, you know, I'd last about one play, right? And I'd be over there, uh, you know, heaving and hubbing. And if I, that's, if I didn't get hit, if I got hit, it would be less than that. I, you know, survived about half a play, but... Uh, you know, it's those things are relative, but I think that something that's difficult for us, and I'll just say it for myself, is to wrap my head around this idea of sometimes you just got to lose, right? Sometimes you got to lose, and and the more and more we study the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more and more we realize that losing is a large part of Christianity. And I think in our country, the difficulty for us is we see our country kind of moving away from Christianity. And there, there's this part of us that wants to stay in control, right? And I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't vote and you shouldn't be involved in social things. Because obviously that is a wonderful, great thing that people have laid their lives down for us to have. And we should be able to enjoy that and use that. I'm not speaking out against that. But I want us also to understand that one of the great things about Jesus is that he has control. He created the universe. John tells us in John 1 that nothing was created without him saying it to be created. And nothing could happen without him allowing it to happen. We sing the song, right? He could have called 10,000 angels, destroy the world, and set him free. And yet he's able to look at Pilate who, who asks, what is truth and he tells him he says well my kingdom's not of this world you know if it was they would fight and and what i've said before is if his people fought and that's not only just including us i'm talking about angels and everyone else who was underneath his power he would win right if, if jesus came to win it would have been a short fight short sweet done over 
The problem with that is, is before his death, burial, and resurrection, we would have been the enemy. And so the fact that we can win at all is completely bought by the fact that he was willing to do what most of us don't want to do, is lose. I spent a lot of my time in an effort as a coach to not what? Lose. It goes against our very being to lose. We want to win, and being able to win means we're in control. And what Jesus tells us over and over again is that's something that you have to lose. You have to understand who truly is in control. In fact, Jesus says, I came to seek and save the what? The lost. We can even go so far to say as the losers, the ones who realize that they're losing a battle that they cannot win. And so in Matthew chapter 10, we start looking at the 12 apostles. And I love the fact that he calls the 12 apostles and he immediately goes into this idea of how bad you're going to lose. (laughs) You are joining a group of people who are going to sacrifice of themselves to the point that it's going to feel like you lose every time out. Because you're called to love people even when they refuse what you're saying. Now, he also tells them you dust the, the feet off. You know, you, you go and preach to God. You go teach people. He tells them, I'm going to give you immense power. He starts off, I'm going to give you this, this ability to heal people. And, and you're going to help people. And you're going to love people. And what are you going to get in return? Hate and persecution. Hate and persecution. But he also encourages us, don't feel the, fear those who can kill the body. But fear that which he who can kill the body and the soul. And so he really in the process of losing it all is saying you're gaining everything. You can let go of fear and anxiety. In the world just seems like everyone has anxiety. The crazy thing about it is, is my kids probably have the least amount of anxiety that they'll ever have in this entire life. Right? But it, it's, it's crazy. As we, and I remember doing crazy, insane things as a young person, right? Riding around the back of a truck, down the interstate, right? On the highway, right? I wouldn't let them do that now, would I? No. But I did it. Right? That's crazy. We would never let them do it. Right? But we fill them with this anxiety. Sometimes it's for their own safety. We have people, young people growing up who are fearful of things that might not ever even occur. Might not ever happen. He says, you can go out and do these things and people are going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. But take heart. He's overcome the world. So we get into verse 26 here. So I have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim to the, on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. That's the first level of encouragement. Right? He says you have worth. You have value to God the Father. Right? You know why so many people have anxiety today? It's because more and more people are taught that there is no God. 
Just the mere thought of that. You want to know the most anxiety I had in my entire hospital visit and stay was about a 15-minute period where I wrestled with the existence of God. It's a high level of anxiety. You know, what if I'm wrong? But then the answer was, what if I'm right? (laughs) You know? If I'm wrong, what am I losing? What am I losing? I'm losing a great life, man. A great life. A life I, I, I don't deserve. I take for granted. Take for granted every day. I'll take it for granted today at some point. I, I, I'll lose my cool and, and it ain't that big a deal. Take for granted. If I'm right, what am I gaining? He, he says here, immense value. I can go around and every human being that I come in contact with, believer, non-believer, has a value to God. He says, you are a high price. You have a purpose. You have a value. And he pours into these, these people who were created, as, as Phil read, we've read for just, were created for good works. You're an instrument of God for good works that were prepared beforehand. Right? You can go to the smallest child that has any ability to, to understand anything and say, you have a purpose. You have a reason. We love you. And what does that do? It changes their outlook. And you have so many people every day who are filled with the pure, unadulterated garbage of there's no purpose, there's no reasoning. And then we go, I don't know why people are taking their own lives at a high rate. Well, let me tell you, I can tell you why. Because we're barraged constantly with this idea that the world is a terrible, awful place and there is no hope. You can go to Scripture and it'll tell you the world's a dark, horrible place. But what does Jesus always come back with? You have a purpose. You have a reason for being here. There's a reason why you have been chosen. Notice he's talking to a bunch of guys that you wouldn't choose to lead anything. Right? To lead anything. To lead anything. I've worked at churches where you you had to be a, a successful businessman. To, to be a leader in that church. It was terrible. <laughs> Honestly, that, that has nothing to do. Is that in any of the qualifications? No. We, we love people. Right? These people love people. There's no ego involved, right? It's one of the wonderful, amazing blessings of how it's set up here, right? Our shepherds are... Are, are, you know, they help us with our bit, but they're equal voting, right? They're concerned with our spiritual well-being. And I'll be honest, I've not experienced that a lot of places, right? I've not experienced that a lot of places. That, that the main goal is the idea of shepherding. I mean, hello. And really, isn't that all of our main goal for one another? To love each other, and sometimes we have to love each other enough to say things that we don't appreciate or don't, don't want to hear sometimes. Right? Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. This is a this is a, a verse that we need to spend some time on, especially with people who have such a weird peace-loving hippie Jesus image that all he ever did was come bring peace and he wanted us all to get along and be friends and sing kumbaya and hold hands and get around the bonfire and he's this awesome guy that and, and Jesus here says, I'm coming and I'm teaching something that 
not everybody's going to get on board with. Then he goes to say, you've got to get on board with it even if who? Father, daughter, mother, daughter-in-law. Even if those people don't get on board with you, you have the responsibility, right? And there's another word that brings a lot of anxiety. Responsibility. There'll be a lot of people, it says in Scripture, that'll show up on the day of judgment. Lord, Lord, when did we see you? When did we, when was the responsibility foisted on us to take care of those who are less off than we are in some capacity? He says, you, when you see people and their identity, regardless of their belief system, regardless of their sexuality, regardless of their lot in life, you saw me in them. That's the difference. How many of us would, would, would shun Jesus if He was at the door? None of us would, right? And that's the point. There's nobody outside the boundaries that we should love people. And when you love people, I've found that you're going to get an opportunity at some point, it may be a small window, to tell them about what Jesus said, the, the non-peace sword-bringing Jesus because they're going to see that love and it's so radically different from the darkness of the world that they're going to say, hey, I don't know, and it may be inappropriate for you to tell me in this circumstance, I don't know why you're different. Could you possibly let me know? But then at that point, guess whose responsibility it is? To follow Jesus. It's theirs. To take or leave. I would have quit preaching a long time ago and tried to get out of it a long time ago because I thought it was on me. And when I presented the gospel and nobody came forward and nobody gave their life, then, man, I'm just not doing it good enough, right? And then it dawned at me, you will never do it good enough. You, you don't have the power to change people and shake them and plead with them long enough. It's the power of the Word of God. It's the gospel. It's the Spirit that convicts. I had a whole lesson on that not too long ago. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me you want to talk about being worthy of Jesus? That's a whole other theological discussion we could have, and we could have it for the rest of time. Worthiness, right? That whole idea of worthiness. And I know we're covering some heavy topics today. He says, you want to be worthy of Jesus. You want to be worthy of me. What do you do? You take up your cross. Now, part of my fleshly side, my legalistic side, right? I grew up in that legalism of, well, you can't ever be worthy. And to some degree, that's true, right? I, 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 can't, I couldn't pay the debt that he paid for me. But Jesus himself, words in red, you can back me up on this, says the, 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 the thing that is implied here is that if you will take up your cross and follow me, then that's how you're made worthy. What does that mean? It means life is hard. Life is difficult. But life is hard and life is difficult without Jesus. Is it not? Amen. It is. There are things today you get on social media, you can go in on CNN, Fox News, and it's just like mind-blowing. Like that is just stupid. That makes no sense. You are just adding more difficulty to your life. But guess what? You can come to my house and you can look at me and go, that is just stupid. That is just making your life harder and more difficult. It's a terrible attitude to have. Life is difficult and hard. 
anyways. So give me Jesus with it. Give me the Lord with it. Give me that spirit living in me, right? That refuses to leave me where I am. Thank God, right? I love my coaches because I had very little talent. But they coached me just like I was the, the best there is, the best there was. Love them for that because they refused to take that guy who had no talent and just let him be. They coached me, right? That, that's, we love coaches like that. Try to be that way. Probably not very good at it. The Spirit, God, Jesus, refuses to leave us. He's constantly, aggressively. He at one point says the kingdom of God is like leaven. You know how offensive that would be? Like, the Jews equated leaven with sin. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It's aggressive. It comes after you. Right? Ladies, don't you want somebody who wants you? Right? There is not a man on the planet that wants you more than Jesus wants you. And has come after you. We all want to be picked first. Jesus says, I put all of you before myself. There's never been anybody alive that should have not been that way like he was. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Over in John chapter 12, there's a whole context. You can go back to chapter 10 and it's all about this idea of life, life, life. John chapter 10, uh, verse 10 is our theme verse for the school year. Right? That, That I've come to give life. He says the thief comes to kill, destroy to take away, right? Everybody, we all know thieves. I've been a thief, right? I, I've seen people who had this joy and I went and, and I took a bunch of cold water and I just dumped it on there because you just can't be that fired up, man, right? Because if you're that fired up, it makes me look less fired up and I'd just rather you not be that way, right? I, I've done it. I'm all, you know, I've had people do it to me. The invasion of the joy snatchers. You know, sometimes we go to church and maybe that's what it feels like. We just got an invasion of the joy snatchers, man. People coming to steal my joy. But for them to steal your joy, Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, you got to let them. You have to give someone the authority to take your joy. Because that's a promised gift from God, right? And for somebody to come take it, we have to open up the door and go, hey, you have the authority to take this away from me. And I do it, man. I mean, I could give you a list of several people that I let do that over and over again. Right? And, and I've said this before. I can be thankful for President Obama because he taught me not to let people steal my joy. Not to give them that authority. There are some people who, who are learning that since the fall of 16, right? And I've got friends who I'm like, hey, just don't, don't let that guy take your joy. Right? I imagine he doesn't wake up. Maybe he does. I don't know. I don't think he wakes up every day and goes, I'm going to steal these people's joy. You know, I would hope that he's got bigger fish to fry. But we do that, do we not? I do that. I've got students that, man, they hit the door and, oh, here we go. Right? That's not right. It's not acceptable. Jesus gives us things that we can have. And we want to be Indian givers. Right? Here it is. Take it back. Here it is. And he talks about this a lot. And I, I challenge you to go back and, and look for two words. Go read John 10 through really the end of the book. And there's a couple words that jump off the page. Life. Life is one of them. And glory. 
glory is one of them. I challenge you to go back and, and look and maybe keep count. Come back next week. Tell me how many times those words show up. Maybe we can do that. Maybe that will help you challenge you. Some of you that will trigger your OCD and you're like, i got to do it now. Hopefully. That would be awesome. Right? So John chapter 12 He's just raised Lazarus from the dead. I love that we get into verse 9 and they have to plot to kill Lazarus too, right? That, that sounds kind of counterproductive. And the guy comes back from the dead, let's kill him, right? I, I would think that if he came back the first time, it would be a waste of time to try and kill him again because he would just come back. But don't we work the same way sometimes, right? That old dead man that it talks about in the Scripture, we want, we want to bring Him back to life, and we wallow in our sin. Oh, I can't ever get over that. I can't ever get over that. I can't ever get over that. And Jesus is sitting there going, I, I can, I'm in that business. The Spirit's saying, I can get you over that if you'll give it to me. They've got to kill Lazarus because he's the evidence of who Jesus is. And guess what? He raises somebody from the dead, and people start coming back to Him. We get the triumphal entry, Right? They don't understand. I love it. It says, disciples did not understand, verse 16, these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. There's that word, glorified. Then they remembered. Verse 20 says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast, this is the Passover, were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew, Phil, uh, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now, I want you to notice, and, and you can read the rest of the context, and I read it pretty far, but he never sees the Greeks. Like, so I just picture these guys standing at the door, like twiddling their thumbs, and they never get to see Jesus, right? In fact, it says, I think he says, goes and hides from them. But Jesus' reaction, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Right? Now, think of our view of glory, right? And sometimes this seeps into our own salvation, right? You know, I'm going to be saved. I can't wait for the day of judgment so everybody can see how awesome I am. Right? <laughs> you know, that's our idea of glory, right? Maybe, maybe in our day and age, really, it's that coming back, right? It, it's that, you know, somebody cut me down, so now I'm going to get really back, you know. And, and I found myself as a coach just speaking the truth about a player, and everybody's like, oh, coach, burn him up. That wasn't my goal. I was just trying to coach him, right, and, and get him out of that. But everything's a burn. You know, and I, I've got students now who are terrified to try because they're so scared of losing or being embarrassed, right? They just haven't lived long enough, to be honest. <laughs> I embarrass myself every day. I just got to the point where I don't care that much, right? I fall out of bed, you know, and, and I don't look cool, um, you know, and that's one thing cancer will do for you, too. You, you kind of lose that idea of being cool, right? It's like, hey, I'm here. Hair's all crazy. It's back. Yay. You know, uh, my shoes don't match. Okay, whatever. Uh, I'm just trying to survive and get to the next day. But he says here, you know, this idea of these Greeks coming, he says, it's time. The world has woken up. It's time for me to be glorified. Right? Think of it in these terms. Somebody wins a big award. Last year, Colin Murray wins the Heisman Trophy. Before the next day, the sun rises. Somebody has went and seen, looked at one of his tweets from when he was 15 years old. I mean, who, no offense, Marcus, who is not dumb 
at 15 and said stupid things, right? Thank God social media didn't exist when I was a teenager, right? Y'all wouldn't even have me up here. You wouldn't let me come up here, right? We say dumb things. And Jesus says, he says, oh, the world has now got eyes on me. Notice he doesn't go, well, let's step out into the spotlight. Let's enjoy it. Let's soak it up. Because he knows as soon as the spotlight comes, death comes with it. You see, as Christians, when the spotlight is shined on us, it's not about us living. It's about us being dead to ourselves and Christ, as Paul says, living in us. It's about the Spirit. It's about the mistakes we've made. It's about how, time, how many times we've fallen, but God has raised us up again. He says, the spotlight's on me. It's time for me to glorify the Father. And his idea of glory is completely different. Right? Completely different. Everybody loves coming to the game. But not everybody loves practice. Everybody. Everybody loves coming to the game. But not everybody loves practice. Right? As a coach, I struggle with that. I don't really enjoy practice. I like game day. When the ball kicks off, my worries go away. Isn't that crazy? Well, it's on. It's here. It's go. Let's go. You flip over a few verses and you get to that point where Jesus is about to die a horrible death. I've said it, I've said it last few weeks. You wouldn't kill a dog the way they killed Jesus. And, and what is he consumed with in his prayer? He mentions himself like one verse. Lord, if this passed from me, that'd be great. Your will be done. And then he goes on this long prayer about who? The ones he's called. The ones who are to come. He's consumed with us. Right? I'm in the hospital for 36 days. You know who I'm consumed with? Me. Getting out of that hospital bed. And maybe rightfully so. Sometimes that's what you got to do. Jesus is about to go die a death. You wouldn't. you go to jail. If you treated a dog that way. And he's, he's thinking about us. Let them be unified. His, his last message with the Father before he's hanging on the cross and says, forgive these people, they don't know what they're doing, is please keep them unified. Help them be together. It saddens me to see how many splits we have, right? One of the main reasons people don't like the school being here it's because we look past all that and we're unified to a degree, right? As much as human beings can be. He says, I've got to die. And he says, but if, I, if it dies alone, the hours come. Verse 24, truly, true, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever has his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am... There will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. May it be our prayer today that whatever we do, whether it's failure, losing, winning, whatever it looks like, that the Father's name be glorified in it. I tell you this morning that if you're outside the body of Christ and you're not a believer, you've not been put on the blood of Christ, you've not died to yourself, you've not been buried like He has, 
there would be nothing that would glorify the name of the Father more than you making that decision and choosing to follow Him. Winning, losing, glorifying, failing miserably, as we all do. Or maybe you need to come forward and let it be known publicly at church so that we can pray over you. Or maybe simply where you're sitting. If you're like me, every time I hear the Word of God, even if it's preachers I don't agree with 100%, there's something that they say from the Scripture that hits me between the eyes and convicts me. And I may be riding on my lawnmower and go, Oh Lord, please forgive me. Then maybe that's what needs to happen today. I would almost guarantee you that every one of us have something in our life right where we're sitting right here in this pulpit, right where you're at. If you're listening to this on the internet, right where you're at, something that we can hand to God today and say, you need control over this in my life because I'm tired of carrying that weight. Why don't you do that now as we stand and sing?